how many are just excited about the messages you've been hearing lately from Pastor Josh? Just great messages. His, uh, the past weeks have been on Foundational Truth Series, and, you know, the first week was, was about truth. Remember, Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. And with truth comes what? Comes freedom. Comes freedom. Week two was the power of God for his church. We must know the word, and we must trust in the word, and we must value the word. We must value Jesus and all that he has for us. Our hearts need to be aligned with the Holy Spirit. You know, we're all hearing, we're all hearing the Spirit speak. We're all hearing what the Father's saying to us, but are we acting upon it? You know, are we walking in the power of what he has created us to be? In week three, it was the presence of God. We were created to live in this presence, created for relationship. God is closer than any friend. Week four was prayer. Without prayer, nothing happens. Place our faith in God and ask. Talk to him. He's talking all the time. Are we listening? Are we hearing? Are we distracted to, from this and distracted to that, pulled in different directions? Are we hearing him clearly and focusing upon what he says? I like what Pastor Josh said uh, about prayer being a powerful tool. Prayer is a bridge from what is to what should be. Amen? Amen. And week five was love. I mean, I feel that love here this morning. God just embracing us. Somewhere in the middle of that, Pastor Jeff shared a great message on expressing grief. (laughs) And he found out there were some people listening he didn't even know were listening because they responded to to that message. (laughs) So, you know, I I think about grief, and, and many of us have been through a lot, a lot of losses in our lives. But, you know, many of those people we will see again. When my son Alec passed away in 2007, on his way to work here in the church, God gave me a word. Well, first of all, I was arguing with God. Any of you done that before? (laughs) Why, you know? But, you know, he said, you know, I lost my son too. And I said, yeah, and you knew you were getting yours back. And it was probably about that way to said it too. But he loves us that much. And what he said to me next was something I hold on to all of my life. And that's that you'll see yours again too. Amen. 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 So what I'm going to speak about today is relationship. I shared the messages before, or the previous messages Pastor Josh shared, because it's important. It's an important ingredient of all that is relationship. We should strive to make relationships. You may ask, what's the purpose of relationships? Well, relationships are the cornerstone of happiness and living a full life. You know, they can come with an array of rewards. They they can come with disappointments, but mostly rewards. Rewards are something that, you know, just blesses us in many ways. Relationships provide us with friends and family to share our lives with. People who can help us out in tough times. People that are there for us. There are people in this room that I can, I can call and I know they'll be there. You know, I'm sure you have the same friendships and relationships in your lives. But let's look at how Jesus modeled relationship. 
In Jesus' culture, sharing a meal meant that you were friends. Jesus extended his friendship and kindness to people far from God, religious leaders who thought they had God figured out, and everyone in between. Jesus valued relationships so much that he, he spent more time walking, talking, eating, and drinking with other people than he did teaching. His first miracle was what? At a wedding. One of his best-known parables was at a party. Jesus' friends were former prostitutes, tax collectors, bullies, and fishermen. He hung out with what? The more undesirables, you could say. He hung out with people that needed him, needed the Lord. He wants us to experience incredible life-changing love, mercy, and compassion, not only from him, but from those around us. And he wants us to show that love to others. The call to love and help others in tangible ways, especially those weaker than ourselves, runs throughout the Bible. The Bible is a relational book. God wanted relationship with his people right in the beginning. No, Moses, you go. (laughs) Hey, we all have to have a representative sometimes, right? People did not, they feared they had a fear in them at that point. They didn't want, they were afraid of what, who God was because they didn't have what? They didn't have a personal relationship with him. They did not know who God truly was. They did not know the love that God was pouring out upon them and wanted to pour out upon them. Jesus didn't try to convince anybody of anything new or want them to believe anything new. He didn't want them to change their behavior or join in his group. He simply loved them, praised them, and was good to them, and only answered questions they were actually asking. Folks, with Jesus, love is what? Love is non-negotiable, okay? He calls us to love one another. The most important commandment Jesus gave us is to love God with all our hearts and love others as ourselves. Healthy relationships are so important that God didn't just suggest them. In Scripture, he's commanding we have relationships, love others, and love others well. John 15, 12 through 14 says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Love one another as I have loved you. Let's look at how the Bible describes relationships in a few passages. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A lasting relationship of any kind has this hallmark. Can anybody guess what that is? Love. Friends must love each other through thick and thin for a relationship to last. If you only show love during good times, you can't be the kind of friend that God has called you to be and wants you to be. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As Aaron sharpens... As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another through discipleship, through accountability, through loving that person. What does God say about struggling relationships? Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 says, be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. 
Be one. Can we be people that are quick to forgive? Can we be people, can we work towards becoming unoffendable? Can we be people that honor one another? You know, don't take on an offense. That's easier said than done sometimes, I know. But the thing is, can we have that mindset that, you know something? They're not going to steal my joy. You can only allow someone to steal your joy, folks. Ask Jesus every night before you go to sleep, Jesus, is there anyone I need to forgive today? Corinthians 13 says we need to be humble. We need to be gentle. We need to be patient. We need to exhibit love one towards another. And by cultivating those virtues, we can overcome any kind of relationship problem. So you might ask, why are relationships so important to God? Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 4 uses different examples of the power of relationships. And I encourage you to read it. When people work together, when we as Christians are willing to follow God and put him first in regard to our relationships, we are honoring him and also able to love others better than we could without his help. So when you have a challenging person before you, God, show me something. Show me something about that person that I can show them honor, that I can show them love. Show me something in each and every individual. Healthy relationships are are made by having honor, involving honor, honesty, trust, respect, and communication. Relationships take effort and compromise. There's no imbalance of power in a good relationship. I was thinking about the scales of justice, you know, and, you know, no, it's a perfect balance. There's no imbalance in compromise. Can you make every effort to develop a culture of honor in this house? To be honoring, to be loving, to be nurturing. There are three C's in a strong and healthy relationship. Communication, compromise, and commitment. Through communication, we want to speak clearly, we want to speak lovingly, we want to speak with intent, but we want to listen more than anything. Compromise. Be open to hear others' opinions, not thinking your way is the only way to see things. We can get locked into something that this is the only way. Now, we know there is one way here, but as far as thinking about other things, you know, for instance, someone is driving somewhere and they know there's a certain way that you get there. Well, if you don't take that way, they get upset. No, I can get there the same way as you get there, you know. It's not, there's not only one way to get there. Commitment. Commit to be the doer of the word and not only a hearer. Be all God has called you to be. God gave me a word for the house in July. And many of you may have been here, many not, but I'm just going to read that word again. That many of you in this room are pregnant with the purpose of God. And the question is, what is holding you back? 
God has given you everything you need. He wants to birth that in you today to release a new hunger, a thirst for the things of God, and to be released into this earth, those things to be released into this earth through you. God wants to use each one of us. We are his mouthpiece. We are his feet, his hands. Why, you know, what's that song? Why aren't we moving? You know, we are to be all he's called us to be. You know, we talk about, we hear about the golden rule. And many of us know what the golden rule is. The, the most familiar version of the golden rule is do unto others as you want them to do unto you. So treat others as you want to be treated. Treat others as you want to be treated. You know, our world today can be a large, impersonal institution where anonymity, and yeah, I can pronounce that sometimes, isolation and independence are the uniform of the day. People can be surrounded by other people in a crowded setting and not experience community. We can be part of a company, a club, or even a church and not feel that we belong or are accepted. We can share a carpool, an office, and even a home and not have significant relationships. I was reading an article about a gentleman, and it ties in with this, where there's an elevator full of people, and this guy is there. Two of them, as a matter of fact. They say, you're not trying to get on this elevator, are you? And he's like, he just goes into the elevator, and he starts talking to people. And it just opens them all up. See, it only takes one to start that conversation, to start things rolling in that place. We can look at what Paul says about relationships. Paul, who wrote one-third of the New Testament. In Romans 12, 18, Paul says, In as much as it depends on you, you should live in peace with one another. We cannot control the behavior of others, but we must take responsibility for our own behavior. Letting go of our right to vindication, making every effort to live at peace with one another. Paul, the apostle, born in Tarsus, educated in Jerusalem, lived in Damascus, who had a divine encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, spent formidable time in the desert and moved to Antioch, and that was only the beginning of Paul's venture, Paul's adventure, because it is an adventure with Jesus a lot of times. Professionally, he ventured out from Antioch on three extensive mission, extensive mission campaigns, traveling from city to city. Yet wherever he was, wherever he went, he established a community of people that huddled together in support and encouragement. How was he able to create such a significant relationship with people? First of all, and we're going to look at this in, the, in uh, Thessalonians. I have three points in Thessalonians that we're going to look at. And... In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, as a matter of fact, Paul's most personal letter identifies some of the key components for establishing and maintaining community. The first point is admit that you have a need for others. You can't be the lone ranger. You can't be out there on your own. Admit that you have a need to have community. Just as a child needs a mother to be Just as a child needs a mother, we need each other. In one of Paul's other letters to the Corinthians, he says, 
So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, right? Nor can the head say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, all the more those parts are all needed. Even the ones that seem weaker are needed in the body. This need is a deeply rooted need that God has placed within each one of us. A need for community, a need for one another, a need for relationship. God planned it that way from the beginning. That's why God said it's not good for man to be alone in Genesis 2.18. The need for others is God-given and deeply rooted in our lives. I have a quote for some, from someone here. It says, listen to what one unbeliever had to say. His name was Abraham Maslow, a non-believer. And he reinforced God's original design and plan through his well-known theory of the hierarchy of needs. Maslow believed that one could learn as much from studying healthy, well-adjusted people as one could by struggling by studying those with problems. His conclusion was that each of us has varying levels of need, and as we satisfy one level, we then move up to the next level. Maslow's research revealed that before we can be a person of value and become all that we were intended to become, we first must have our social needs met. We must be part of a group affiliated with others, experiencing caring and sharing relationship. Now, if someone that didn't know God can say that, what about us that do know him and do know his word and rely on his word? We need relationship. The second point is cultivate deep relationships. Don't take relationships lightly. To survive in a world that can be cold and cruel requires deep relationships. But those relationships don't just happen. They have to be created. They have to, be, they have to go after. You have to go after a relationship. We have to do more than just reach out to others. We have to share our lives with others as well. The truth was one of the secrets of Paul's. Or this truth is one of the secrets of Paul's establishment of supportive relationships. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of Jesus, but also our lives. They shared their lives, not only the gospel, but their lives. They were relational with people because you have become dear to us. Here was a man that every time he wrote to a church, he would mention maybe two, three, or four people by name that were close to him. Paul developed relationships with those people. Can say, those were my friends. Those were people I developed relationships with. Also found in these verses were three words that from the basis of developing relationships will pass the test of time. And those three words are care, share, and the word dear. The first one, care, like a mother for her little children. Remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The second one is share, and we were pleased to share with you our own lives. Sharing our lives continues the mothering idea and paints a picture of a mother caring for her young. You know, a mother can't nurse her children without sharing a part of herself with the child. For us to share with each other, we need to truly listen to one another and be present in the moment. 
When I first started counseling with people many years ago, I had to train myself to truly listen, to truly listen to what they were saying and not be thinking about the next thing I was going to say. I had to focus on that because it was hard for me because, you know, I have the answer. <laughs> Only he has the answer, folks. Only he has the answer. Follow God. Listen for clarity in those things. The third word is dear, because you have become dear to us. Paul loves these people. And we love others. We do not treat them as a means to an end, but rather as individuals of value. When we love others, we do not treat them in any other way than we would want to be treated. We must learn the gestures of love, a hug, a handshake, as well as many acts of kindness. It's like, like knowing your spouse's love languages. You all know them, right? I think we need to teach you on love languages. <laughs> May we never forget that love is something you do, not just something you say. You know, I can go up to you and say, I love you, but if I'm not there for you, it's nothing. The third thing is commit to authenticity. It is not enough to admit we need each other or to say, oh, a few friends would be nice. We must commit ourselves to getting beneath the surface and become interested and accountable to each other and for each other. Authenticity occurs when the masks come off. You, know, you take that mask off. You're no longer hiding behind the mask. Conversations get deep and hearts get vulnerable. Lives are shared. Accountability is invited and tenderness flows. Believers in the body of Christ become brothers and sisters. We don't just become. We have to build those relationships. We become part of the lives of others as an active participant, relating to them, sharing with and caring for one another. The Apostle Paul describes this in five words. We imparted our lives, our own lives. Paul did not erect barriers. He wasn't aloof. He was approachable. He opened his life to others. To quote an older pastor, we can't simply cheer people on and give them our best wishes. We have to make room for them in our lives. When we make room for them, in our lives, the walls of indifference and apathy come down. They're no longer there. They're no longer a hindrance. People need one another. We need to take off our mask again, admit our need for each other, and cultivate relationships and strive for authenticity. Martin Buber was an Australian-Israeli philosopher who lived in, I think it was from 1878 to 1965. When I think about that, that sounds like a long time, you know? And uh, his theory was this. At the heart of his theory of dialogue, the idea that what matters is not understanding God in abstract intellectual terms, but rather entering into a relationship with him. Such a relationship, he believed, is possible only when he or when we establish genuine relationships with one another. It is worth noting in his words Sin is our failure to grant another his plea for community. Sin is not allowing someone to achieve 
being part of a community. We would never be guilty of committing that sin as we build authentic relationships. So what is the overall meaning in the scripture I used? If 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12, there's mildness, there's tenderness, there's caring. They all greatly endorse Christianity and are most agreeable to God's gracious dealing with sinners in and by the gospel. And this is the way to win people, through mildness, through tenderness, through caring. We should not only be faithful to our calling as Christians, but in our particular callings and our relationships. In 1984, I started in business. I was 26 years old. I had come out of the service in 1978, and um, I started to work at a, a Goodyear store in Gettysburg, and then went to a place called Schultz Chevrolet in in Hanover. I worked there for quite a few years. And one day, the boss called two of us in the office and said, "Uh, you need to go out there and take those Ford license plates off of of your vehicles. This is a Chevy dealership. Well, being young and maybe not the smartest person in the room, I said, well, then you need to go take your Ford emblems off your tractor at the farm. That didn't go over too well. (laughs) So I and the other guy were fired for driving Ford vehicles at the Chevy, Chevy garage. So I went to work for Ford for, for six months before I started my own business. But, you know, in all that time, no one actually took the time to share the gospel with me. Not one time. And through that time, I didn't get saved until I was 32 years old. And my relationship came through two pastor friends of Norm's. I'll share about Norm. Norm was a brilliant man. He did a lot with oils and different things. And he just, you know, I I can't say as he, he just appeared in my shop one day. You ever have him just show up? And immediately there's a, a bond built. This is just someone that was relational and he had an engaging personality. And I learned to love Norm, and he had had some great information for me, and he could figure out, calculate things quicker than I could. And and he had two friends that were pastors. And uh, it was funny because those pastors never knew Norm's struggle. But as I worked with Norm, I found out he was eating with us at at, uh, lunch one day, and I said, Norm, you know, would you ever thought about asking Jesus into your heart? He says, I, I could never do that. They wouldn't, he wouldn't accept me. He said, now, my wife could be saved, but I couldn't. And that just struck me to the core. And I'm like, why, why do you believe that? You know, and as weeks went on, things came out, and Norm had been in Vietnam, and every day this young little boy would bring fruit to them, fresh fruit to them. And one day the boy was wired with explosives and Norm had to shoot that young child. And he would not forgive himself for that. But you know, at this altar one night during heaven's gates and hell's flames, Norm knelt down and Norm gave his life to the Lord. Years later, Norm died from cancer. It was his time to get saved. 
before he went someplace where we know he didn't belong. God loved him that much to put him in the right place at the right time through that. But it was one of those pastor friends that finally came to me and said, hey, you know, you're going to get on an airplane. You're going to be traveling out here to Arizona to share something with someone. Uh, I think you need to know that, that there's somebody you need to know. So all that was tied together because God loves us that much and God is relational and he sends people into our lives so we can be relational and love them. You know, I I love this saying, if you want personal revival, then you need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Embrace all that he has. Love him because he loves you immensely, more than you can understand. Jesus served as our substitute. His life, his death, his resurrection allows us to freely relate with our creator today. He paid our debt, a debt that we owed, not that he owed, that we owed. Jesus calls us friend in the Bible in John 15, 15. A relationship with Jesus is a relationship of intimacy and security and being totally known and yet totally accepted. He knows all your faults. And he still loves us. <laughs> he still loves us. If you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus, please don't leave here today without coming and seeing one of us at the front. We'll have some altar workers here at the front and just other staff members. There may be those here today that have strained relationships with family, with friends, with spouses even. My question for you today is how important is that relationship to you? If you want that relationship, you go after that relationship. How much will you trust God to restore that relationship after you do what he's asking you to do? We can either walk in obedience to the word of God or walk in disobedience. Not long ago, Remy and I were shopping for a piece of furniture. A salesman found out that we were both pastors and asked if we would pray for restoration of a relationship with his daughter. He didn't have to ask twice. We were more than happy to. You know, there are opportunities out there that God gives us. Take them. Recently, Remy had a discussion with a gentleman who wanted to sue for custody of his 17-year-old daughter who he hadn't seen or heard from in five years, close to five years. When pressed for the reason why, why he wanted to pursue that now, it was revealed that he had some anger towards his daughter for not wanting a relationship with him. After struggling to forgive his daughter, you know, some of us really struggle sometimes to forgive people. Nobody guilty of that? I've been. <laughs> sometimes God reveals it to me later, you know, you know, you really need to forgive that person, you know, because things creep in. Things creep in. But anyway, he finally forgave her, and Remy was able to pray for restoration and reconciliation in, in their lives. Later that night, his daughter called him. Things like that just don't happen, folks. God is in the midst. God is working. God is asking us to be obedient to what he's speaking to us. 
and he will change our situation. So will you trust him in your situation today? Worship team, would you come? As always, we'd love to pray for you if you need healing in your body. If you need healing spiritually, emotionally, we'll be here at the front for you. And just know, you know, even during worship, God can touch us. God can heal our bodies. In fact, I just challenge you now just to check out and see if something that was hurting when you came here doesn't hurt anymore. Because God touches us as we submit to him, as we worship him, as we love on him. So if you have to go today, I'm going to release you. But if you want prayer, you want to come up and worship, I invite you to come. And I just bless you with all that he has for you. And I release you to be a blessing to those that you encounter today whether you go out to eat or whatever you do from this point forward, whoever you run into, may you be a blessing to that person. May you start to cultivate a relationship with someone that you don't know. You know, it's funny as I was walking around and I was sharing yesterday at the outreach how people are just waiting for you to ask them. They want to tell you their story. And then you find there's connections, there's threads. There's things that God has been working in those lives. So just seek Him with all your heart. Be blessed. Be powerful. Be authentic. Walk in His power and in His truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come, join us this morning if you want prayer. Prayer team. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.